Welcome. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Oh, let's breathe that in. Inspiration and possibility. We're going to be going into some deep stuff today about what's happening in the world. And my guest is Laura Boyd. She was on last summer. I can't believe it's been a year. And we talked about how to get out of your own way. And today, Laura's going to come on and she's agreed to be a guest co-host for the next six episodes. So yippee skippy for all of you to be able to have her brilliance with us. Laura has spent over 25 years working with organizations to help them develop sustainable growth as organizations and the people within. And I'm so excited to be able to have these conversations because she and I are both on the ground floor working with human behavior with companies across the planet. So we are going to talk about the great resignation. I will circle back with you afterwards. Laura Boyd, hello and welcome back. Hello, Corinne. (laughs) Hello, hello, everybody. So I'm excited to have you on doing, being a co-host, you're going to come for about six shows and we're going to get to have these great conversations. Yay. Yay. Yes. Yay. This works (laughs) out for everybody. (laughs) Okay. So today we're going to talk about the great resignation. And for, while I've heard of this term just in the last week, there are lots of people that haven't even heard of this yet. So for those in our audience who may not know what it is, would you care to share with them what the great resignation is? I can. Now, this is in my terms, not any research from some professor and and whatever, but all the research that I have done is they're actually coining this the great resignation and the great awakening, which is interesting to me. So the great resignation is that people are fleeing their organizations. And I think they're seeking something better, which is typically why you would leave your organization because there's something different, better, more fitted for what your family needs, so on and so forth. So I think that that's part of the resignation, but there's this also this great awakening is during COVID, I think people had the opportunity and the chance to take a step back and redefine what success meant to them. Does success mean that it's all about the money? I don't think people are driven by the money. I think they're saying, I want the flexibility. I want the working from home. I want to do something different. I've been doing this for so long. I'm going to totally redo my career. I'm going to go back and get a different degree. I'm going to go back and get a master's degree, whatever it is. So that's the awakening part of it. The resignation is where I get a little more concerned because I think as you and I've talked about, I think sometimes people flee things because they didn't figure it out while they were there. And I think that that's where that resignation concerns me a little bit because we've got an unprecedented amount of people leaving organizations. It's actually a record number. And we also have openings at a record number, job openings. People, I mean, and you and I are both, right, working with so many people and companies who they're having a hard time filling jobs. And right. they're having their teams leave their jobs, right? Team members leaving their jobs. And so it's, you know, what, 15 months ago, people were really worried about having a job. Would they be able to stay employed? And now we're seeing the reverse of people being having a hard time having the staffing, the qualified staffing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think during the pandemic, they kind of lived in this fear paradigm. So they held on to everything. Everything that they knew, it was just an easier, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything different. I'm just going to do this. And, and so then the companies were like, well, now we're trying to keep all these people. And I think that the loyalty isn't necessarily there. They're saying, I want to do something different. And especially if it looks different than what they thought it was going to look like. Ooh, tell me about loyalty. 
in terms of, because you said the loyalty is not there. So the loyalty with the employee is not there with the employer. I think it goes both ways. And we've kind of seen that. I, I think there isn't loyalty. I mean, I think people, because companies aren't loyal to people and people can't be loyal to a company because a company is a building. A company is an ecosystem. You are loyal to people, not necessarily ecosystems and buildings. That's my philosophy on that. But so that goes back to who is leading you, right? So then that's when they say, well, people leave their bosses. That's people. That's not a cultural ecosystem. That's a person that they leave. So the loyalty can really only exist between people, not companies, people and companies. What do you think? I I totally agree with you about there's a lack of loyalty. What I'm thinking is I think there's some of the employees and and you and I are both right we're we're in there we're working with people who are in the workforce and we're helping them. And so like this is us with our feet on the ground talking working with a lot of different people in a lot of different companies, you know, around the globe essentially, right? Around the US, around the globe. And seeing the the behaviors, the human behavior, the patterns of what we're seeing, right? This isn't just you and I sitting in on the other end of the microphone and talking about what we think. This is what we're kind of dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So as you talk about this, I do see a lack of loyalty and I do, it's almost like this armor from the employees, like, well, screw them, screw them, like the company, because they don't take care of me. So why should I? be loyal to the company. I think the impact is the human leader who may have done a lot of devotion and cultivation, but then gets kind of blended in with the company. Does that make sense? So they can, the the human leader can take it personally because the company is an existing structure. You call it an ecosystem and they can take it so personally of like, but wait, I've done all this for you and now you're leaving. And so there's many different parts to it mm-hmm. and it gets blended. I think that the blending is, that's an issue all around because the organizations, like you said, a lot of my clients are in a tough spot because they need employees. So they don't know how do I keep these people that have been with me for so long and yet they're fleeing And so the blend isn't necessarily there because everybody's always thinking about it. What's in it for me? Is that something that's new or has that always been there? I think it's always been there. I think it's been exasperated with this pandemic because I think employees, because of our shortage of employees, I think that there's been a higher rate of burnout Mm pre-pandemic. So there's been a, I mean, right? This is what we see every day when we're working with our clients. There's burnout. So then the pandemic hits. Well, now you've got extra burnout because it's not just the role of the the jobs and the career that's a burnout. It's family. It's the fear of the unknown for the band. I mean, like everything just keeps adding up and adding up. And so I think the easiest thing to change is a job. And so the burnout never really left. It just got exasperated during the pandemic. And now we're sitting here, hopefully towards the end of it, or have some, I don't know, (laughs) have some vaccinations to help us or whatever we need to get us through this. But I hope that we're in this time where we're starting to, to turn the corner. But I think that when you look back at where a lot of the burnout areas were, I think the job is the easiest thing to let go of and change. It's hard to leave your family. Yeah, it's hard to leave your family, but it's not really solving the problem at hand. Absolutely not. I agree 100%. Because I think that when the, with the problem with burnout is the lack of boundaries, the overworking, the hustling for worthiness, the worrying about, you know, and then it's all the mental mindset drama that employees bring and not getting clarification and what do they make things mean of what, you know, their boss said or somebody said instead of just getting clear information. So the problem is, is always the overworking. And so people think like, oh, I go to a new job and it's going to be great. When you have that, any new job, any new relationship has the excitement. It's something new. It's shiny. It's like a new car. It's new until you drive it. And then eventually everybody lives in it and becomes dirty and the birds poop on the windshield. 
right? And it's no longer a new car. Same thing with the job. Like at some point that honeymoon period is over. And so there you are with your inability to have boundaries, right? We all have work to do in boundaries. No matter how much work we've done, there's always work to be done. So it's it's not really addressing the root of the problem. It's just changing it on the surface. That's what I think. I agree hundred percent on that. I, I think it's interesting because I always like that saying where you say, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to think about that a lot because I'm like, why do I keep having these same issues? I've gone from this company to this company. And why is this issue still following me? It's not me, it's them, you know? And it, at what point do you look at yourself and say, I got to change me? Mm-hmm. How do I adjust how I'm handling things? or how I'm thinking of things, or how I'm setting up boundaries and sticking to them. Well, I mean, some of it like is, I think about whether it's myself or my clients, we are so ingrained in the, I need to fix it, right? Like I'm a fixer. I cannot change that behavior unless I'm aware of it. And what people tend to do is they go, oh, I'm just going to go to another job. And then nobody will know that I'm the fixer. Well, that will work for a period of time. But if that is your go-to strategy to overcome anxiety, like if you are an over-functioner, as Harriet Lerner likes to say, when you deal with anxiety and you over-function, your fixer tendencies are going to come out. So the best thing to do is start to look at what is my part in this? Not to blame ourselves, but what is my part in this? What's the problem I'm trying to solve? Is it that everybody comes to me and I'm the one that needs to solve all the problems, or is that my natural tendency? And what are the things that I need to learn, the skill sets that I need to develop, right? And that becomes really important. So this goes back to this great resignation of what you and I are seeing is people fleeing, thinking that that's going to change or make them feel better. Yeah, I agree. One of the things I, that I work with with my clients, I call it the CPA has nothing to do with accounting because I would not be talking to them about that. But the CPA is, did I cause it? Did I participate in it? And did I allow it to happen? And so when you think about what part did you have in that, sometimes if you think about it from the CPA world, okay, did I cause it? Did I participate in it? Did I allow it? What part did you have in that? Mm-hmm. And this is, I've learned this a lot from you, Corinne, actually is, and I've really worked on this with myself, is that compassion side. Mm-hmm. Because if you find out, wow, I either caused, participated, or allowed, okay, now what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. So that's where the compassion comes in. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to have compassion for yourself that you're going to fail. You're going to get right back up and you got to try it again and you got to fail, then you're going to get back up. But the more times you fail is technically the less times you're going to fail because you're going to learn from it and you're going to continue to grow. I think we're following ourselves and we're going, and I did this through my whole career. It doesn't matter if there was a pandemic. I did this through my whole career. It was always like, what's greener on the other side. And actually one of my favorite mentors said to me, and I say this a lot because it just resonates with me. He said, Laura, you get to the top of the mountain and you're always like, what's the next highest mountain? Mm -hmm. Always looking, you know, that's the overachievement. And so I have more issues than most people, but I do think that I think if you can be aware of them, have the desire to change and have a commitment. So what's your plan to it? And then practice, fail, practice, fail, practice, fail. That's my belief. I think being able to like, so with your CPA, right? Cause perspective allow, that's the awareness piece that I talk about. Like, are you aware? Asking yourself, what is our part into it, right? Always having, being a compassionate observer, not a judger. We can go to that, right? We are so, especially I think as women, we have been taught to, it is our responsibility. All the problems are our responsibility. We need to be fix it. So we don't want to blame ourselves. What we want to do is look at it from a compassionate observer so that we can really have our brain open and look at the whole perspective of what's going on. And this is where Brene's quote is just so profound, owning our story and loving ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the bravest thing we can do. And, you know, I mean, I've been speaking that quote now for probably 11 years. And I understand it at such a deeper level. I used to say it like, okay, owning your story, owning your story. And I now realize like it's owning all of our stories, right? It takes courage to own the great things that we can do and be proud of the great, our great things. And it's also really important to own like, oh, here's something I do. And it's, I don't really want the world to know, but I'm going to own it. Maybe I'm going to own it with 
my select people. I don't need to stand on rooftops, but I'm going to own it. And I'm going to love myself, even though this may not be how I want to be. These are all deep levels. And I, and so the more that everyone can create an awareness of what is going on, what is the problem? What, how are you contributing? How are you not? And being able to see that is really huge because do you find my clients tend to take on over responsibility of the problem? Like, and I'm always reminding them, like, there's some of theirs, but there's also some that's not. And really looking at that, do you tend to find your clients take on over responsibility? I think we have that conversation with every client that we start working with because I think mm-hmm. I know Laura, what <laughs> I, I don't have responsibility for everything. You know, because they know that I'm in their heads now. Like, well, what's your part in that? But what is somebody else's part? So we don't have responsibility. The the one thing, though, that I, I am challenged with, though, is that some organizations, I think, haven't quite caught up with what leading strong people looks like. And they're leading still in a traditional sense, more of a dictatorship versus this is how people want to be led. They want to be innovative. They want to be curious. They want that compassion and empathy. And so I think that they're still fixated on, well, this is how I was led. You do this, you do this, you do this. Mm-hmm. Versus, is there a better way to do this? Mm-hmm. I think that that's where we have a little bit of challenge, I think, in our, our country, especially in a particular industry where I think they've done things this way for so long and they haven't quite shifted as much as they need to. And a lot of those people are fleeing. Don't you think that's also hard? Like, you know, wherever, again, I don't want to say we're post pandemic, but where we are in this period of this pandemic of 15 months or so, 14 months of the pandemic where we've hit so much decision fatigue, right? Do I wear a mask? Do I not? You know, do I need to be vaccinated? Do I not? Do I go indoors? Not, I mean, do we bring people back into the offices? Do we not? Like everybody is just exhausted right? Because there's been so many choices and variables. And so for companies who have had a way of doing things for decades, maybe even longer than that, do you think some of their resistance is because they're in decision fatigue? Yeah, that's actually a good point. Because it's it's easier. Mm -hmm. It's easier to do things that you've done in the past that you don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. But I challenge them because I think it's harder to replace people that have been there for a long time and understand the culture and understand the the role, the job, whatever it is, versus just letting them go. And we know there's a huge expense to that too. And truthfully, we don't even have people in our <laughs> in our country to to work. I mean, we're struggling with that altogether. I think I heard something that was like nine point six million job openings in our country. That's more than the state I live in of people. Wow. It's just fascinating to me. And so you've got to come around. You've got to be more open about what does that look like? What could that look like? One of the things, because like we've talked about burnout and we've talked about decision fatigue. So in order to be able to do that, the other thing like leaders or people that are sitting at the table making those decisions, they have to take care of themselves so that they can solve these problems. Yes. You're saying the leaders that are like managing the teams and yeah, the that are resisting the change, right? There's somebody in the leadership that is saying, oh no, we're, we're all going. I mean, I've had some clients who are like back in May of 2020, we're going back to the office this month. I mean, that was May of 2020 and California was shut down. Right. And, right. and then there was, they really couldn't go back into the office because of, you know, the way our governor had set things up. So there was this agony about that. And so now here we are in July of 2021, where they're wanting people to come back into the office. And some employees are like, but I'm not sure. Or they've moved, right? They've moved and they've moved remotely, whether it's been transparent or not, because that's the other issue, right? Because we have a lack of loyalty, we have a lack of trust. So people have moved and we don't have the skill set of knowing how to have tough conversations right? Mm -hmm. Great conversations of here is how I can work best to support the company. And this is what I need, being able Mm -hmm. to ask for what I need. Well, and I think people are asking for what they need. I'll I'll share an example that I had a client say they had an employer, actually a prospective employee say, 
here's what I've learned during COVID and a very good employee, right? The resume looks amazing, but they said, I want to go to Puerto Rico for six months of the year. And then I'll be back here six months of the year. Is that going to work for your organization? I mean, the mouth just drops like how we don't even know how that, what that looks like. How do we even say yes to that? And then how do you go back to this whole fairness thing? Mm -hmm. Right. We're trying so hard to make sure that there's the diversity, equality, inclusion, all of those things. So people feel that there's a fairness across the board. And is that fair? That's, you know, going back to that decision fatigue, that's the same thing. So do they hire the person? You know what? That's a good question. I don't even know what they ended up doing. I don't know if they had a final decision on that yet. Decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're just going to wait. Well, there's, and that's the other thing that's happening is people aren't making decisions. They're waiting, right? And then dragging it on. And we are people that are exhausted from the waiting and the uncertainty, right? So that too, I think is attributing to this great resignation. Well, you can't get your shit together. So I'm going to make a decision and I'm out of here. And it's kind of this puffing up of like, I'm going to show you, right? Like there's, there's a bit of armor. And I'm always very concerned of when we make those decisions that are rooted in fear or shame, they're going to be costly down the road. It feels good for me to like gladiate. It feels powerful, right? Like, let me sure offload my pain and my anger and show you how powerful I am. And then later I'm like, oh gosh, you know, there's so much regret and remorse. So while we may not do that in a professional setting, like lose it, but we could do this great resignation. Let me show you quit the job, go someplace else. And then three months, six months, a year later go, oh, what did I do? It's really not better here. But I think even more than that is is when that does happen, at what point do you say, wow, I got to stop this. I can't keep going from job to job to job. I got to look at myself and say, what kinds of changes can I make for myself so that I am content with where I'm at or I am speaking up. I am more curious and asking questions and having courageous conversations. And I think for some people too, it becomes that that catalytic moment, right? Where they finally hit their version of what rock bottom is, mm-hmm. right? And then they may go a bit introspective. Whatever whatever happens where they go, whoa, I need to really rethink this. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, I think it is times like these in this crisis where people do a little reflection or maybe I'm just being optimistic. I mean, we're seeing that in some of the research. If they're calling it the great awakening, people have been a little bit more reflective than, and they've had the time to do it maybe, which maybe before they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that they are having more of that introspection of how do I want to show up in the world? What is it that I'm looking for and how do I want to show up? But you know, so one of the things though, is that I have a belief that we haven't really been taught how to think we've been taught how to do right. Like the American dream work really hard, do, do, do work really hard, achieve. And then like the riches will be laid out. You'll have success. You'll have the title, you'll have the money, whatever it is. And then you're going to be happily ever after, right? It's like achieve to then feel better. And one of the things that I'm constantly trying to get with my clients is we need to be able to think we need to be able to feel, but also how do we think? Are we reflecting? Are we checking in with ourselves? What do you think? I often, when I'm coaching a client, they'll tell me like the polls that they've taken of so many people. Well, so-and-so I'm like, great. What do you think? Like, I think about our educational system. We haven't been really taught to think. Tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, it, it feels a little bit that we're on a hamster wheel, if you will. You know, like you're, you're constantly on this hamster wheel. And I, I think until you get off and actually take the time to do it, but continue to do it. Because I think some people are going to get out of this pandemic too and say, okay, I'm going to go through the self-help and all this other stuff. And they might get a piece of it, but are they going to continue that? Or are they going to get right back into where they're on this hamster wheel again and just doing, 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 and no thinking? Well, I mean, it's easy. I mean, like even just with the pandemic, right? Like I've been really vigilant about COVID and wearing a mask. My state's been really, you know, my town. 
and June 15th in California, it's basically ended, you know, and then a couple of weeks later in our town, the rules got lifted. And all of a sudden I noticed how quick it was for me not to have a mask in my car, or I went to go get COVID tested because even though I'm vaccinated, we, we have healthy Davis. And so I went to go get COVID tested recently and I walked in and I didn't have a mask. And I said, is it okay? Like, I didn't know what was okay and not okay. And she said, well, we are still considered a medical facility. Now get this, this is at the high school. This is on campus of the high school in the multi-purpose room. <laughs> and so it, my brain is like, no, this is the high school. It's, multi, it's the cafeteria. And I understand what she's saying. And I said, okay, I understand that, but I don't want to go home to get a mask. She goes, well, we have one. Would you be willing to wear it? Right. Cause masks are so volatile. I'm, like, I'm absolutely willing to wear it. I just walked out of my house without a mask. So like how quickly in a matter of two or three weeks, I went from having masks, like in every pocket, a bunch of my car to not having a mask. Right. And so when you talk about like self-help, like we can have this great regimen of personal development that we're doing in these practices. And then all of a sudden, like we turn right and we totally leave those practices behind, not because we're bad people, not because we don't care. Life just happens. And sometimes we forget, we get out of our own practices. So one of the things for the listeners is to notice that when that happens, this goes back to what Laura was saying earlier about compassion. This is when you don't judge yourself and beat yourself up your compassion. You're like, Oh, wow, here I had this great practice. I journaled, I really checked in with myself and I did work on my personal development. And all of a sudden I noticed I've all those practices I did, I no longer do. That's how we want to talk to yourself instead of I'm a dumb shit. I'm a loser. I'm a fraud. And I, I don't do any of this stuff anymore. What's wrong with me. Right. And those are the voices that most people tend to have is where they beat themselves up and they judge themselves. I don't even know what you're talking about, Corinne. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> what? I'm getting better at it, not beating myself up. I was really good at that, but I am getting better at recognizing when that does happen. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to armor. That's just your armor you're putting up for yourself. And Laura had a bit of sarcasm there, which is armor as well. <laughs> I'm. That's my best. That's my number one armor. So look out. Yes. Oh, and being super funny, usually at my expense, but yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go back to this boundaries thing too, because I think it's interesting when we talk about boundaries, we think about it from more of the team member, but where I see a lot of the boundaries really kind of being eked upon is the leadership level. And I think part of it is because they're taking on so many different roles because they need employees. So they feel that, you know, they may have been at this organization for 20 years, or they might be a partner. They might be a shareholder. And so for them, they're going to go to any length to make sure that things don't fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so then they're the ones that end up having the boundaries start to dissipate. Like they're not even there. I see that a lot, a lot with my clients. Just it's at that leadership level too, where they're trying so hard to keep their employees satisfied, all of those kinds of things, but they're not looking at themselves mm -hmm. and how they can stay within their boundaries. And I think during COVID, I think that was a big thing from a time standpoint. People were like, I, we work 24 seven because we're, you know, we're here, we're in our, how, our homes. This is our family. This is our, we're schooling, we're working. I mean, this is everything and boundaries got a little invisible. Well, there was that transition boundary, right? Of going, leaving the home, going into the office, coming back home where there was that end of day and people who hadn't developed those skill sets, they're all learnable skill sets, but people who haven't developed that all of a sudden they were at home. For some people, it may have been like this dream of like, oh, I get to be at home. And, you know, then they start doing laundry or they start doing this. And then it was like, oh my gosh, they're like the teenager who has been procrastinating all day. Right. And they've had to learn. And I remember being an entrepreneur at first, like, oh, I get to do whatever I want. It's my schedule. Well, there's still work that needs to be done. And if I don't do it during the work hours, it's going to happen in the after work hours if I want to have a business, right? And so you've, you had people that they had to start establishing. And I remember working with a lot of clients about that of what are the boundaries during your work hours, right? How do you teach your family? So that also took a lot of energy 
And some people and some companies, it was like, we just have to work really hard because we want to make sure that this company is still open when we return, right? Mm -hmm. Or figuring out like, I don't think we were very productive. I know I wasn't very productive in the beginning parts of COVID, like just trying to figure things out and watching the news and trying to understand. But I also worked a lot. Mm -hmm. I worked a lot. Yeah. But I I think one thing is if we all challenged ourselves to say, if there's one boundary that you just want to test out for the week, let's just say, and you said, okay, I'm going to really hold true to this boundary because one thing that we both know boundaries are for us. Mm -hmm. My boundaries aren't for you. Mm -hmm. My boundaries are for me. And so if you could hold true to one boundary, what might that be? Not you don't need to answer it. I mean, you can, but what would, what might that be? And try it, try to say no to somebody. I can't do that because I'm done at five or I'm going to the softball game, whatever the scenario is, that's part of your boundary. Because one thing, when I do that with my clients and they come back to me and they say, Oh my gosh, it worked. Nobody got mad. I didn't turn it into a pumpkin. The company was still there. I think that sometimes we overcompensate where we don't need to. Oh, totally. Well, because again, I think so culturally, especially in our country, we have been programmed that more is better, right? Just keep working, keep working. And I keep reminding my clients, we're not machines, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't the industrial age. Like we're not machines. Our brains have only so much brain juice and we have to replenish it. We are not machines. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The boundaries piece is really important. And sometimes like people have guilt too. Like when you talk about playing a softball game, like I've never been on a youth. Well, I didn't like softball when I had to do it in PE anyways, but I've never been like on a, an adult softball league. But the biggest reason is, well, I'm a busy person. I don't have time for that. Like I wouldn't give myself permission to go do something like that. But if it's something that you enjoy and you get to connect with other people and you like to play softball, that's a great thing to do. Right. And for us to like give ourselves permissions, like what is it that we need to take care of ourselves so that actually when you do that, how much better are you at work? Right. That's self-care. Absolutely. That's mental health. That's mm-hmm. all of those. That's mental well-being. That's all of that. That's a part of it. And I think people are just letting go of that, which I mean, we all know physical activity is good for the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. So one of the things that when I was learning about the great resignation was some of the articles were talking about how employees were feeling like their health wasn't taken into account, right? Their, their well-being, they weren't cared for. And going back to what you're talking about, like if you are a leader and you aren't taking care of yourself, it's really hard to take care of other people. And for the employees, it's also their responsibility to take care of themselves and ask for what they need and get clarification on what's okay, what's not okay. You know, because if you have a big project that's due tomorrow and guess what, you didn't get it done. And do you go to that? I mean, when we're adults, you don't go to the softball game because there's a project that's due tomorrow and it needs to be done. And maybe we look at why isn't it done this time? What are the systems that we need to put into place? Like, are we always reactionary? Was this just something that happened this way? And it's a one-time thing, but we can learn to redo. But that's why that self-care is so important is that being able to take care of yourself as a leader or as an employee will allow you to then give that space for other people. I wish at some point we see more of that, that openness to that. I still don't see that in organizations today where they're allowing that to happen, but also from a debrief standpoint to say, does this always happen? Like you said, Mm -hmm. I wish organizations sometimes would take a step back and say, what could we be doing so that we're not always in the same predicament, Mm -hmm. but they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over without debriefing because they don't take the time to debrief (laughs) because they're being reactive on another project. So I can see where somebody would get burned out in that type of scenario, you know, if you don't have a life preserver. Well, and it goes back to what you're saying earlier about being able to think, right. Being able to reflect. And I think it was Charles Duhigg said, this is that our best productivity app 
is the ability to do deep thinking, right? Deep thinking. Mm-hmm. And how often do we ever measure, oh, I sat down and I really thought, did I get my inbox cleared? What are the tangibles that I can show? These are my accomplishments. How much did I do in sales? Whatever the things that we can actually measure, we think are really important versus like, am I thinking this through versus reacting, you know, being more proactive versus reactive. So the thinking piece is really huge. It is huge. We just don't leave enough space Mm -mm. in our day to do that. We just don't. And I think that would be a phenomenal opportunity. So when you read these great resignation research and, and articles and YouTube videos and so on and so forth, they talk about a lot of organizations, Google, Citibank. I mean, they're all kind of letting people have weeks off, you know, where they're just taking mental health days and all that kind of stuff. But what if you actually, in the middle of your day, gave four hours to just thinking, thinking through a new process, a new system, and you didn't have anything else that was clouding it? You know, you did the meditation to kind of get you in the right spot. But what they do is they do these one-hour meetings and back-to-back one-hour meetings. Well, that doesn't really give you time to do some deep thinking. So then as an employee, you're like, well, I got to do that at home. I got to do that on my way to work or from work or while I'm working out or whatever the scenario is. And that's where burnout happens because you have no downtime. I try to, I don't know if you do this, but I really try to get my clients to do 45 minute or 50 minute meetings. That way they have a 10 minute transition, whether it's for a bio break to be able to sometimes close out. But this is a boundary. Like think about if that was the one boundary that our clients did was end meetings in 45 minutes. Because the biggest complaint that I have is how many meetings my clients are in all day and then Mm -hmm. how they have to do their work in the after hours. 100%. Yep. And I don't know, I have a client who I I love very much, but they will start a meeting at seven after the hour, even though the meeting started at the zero, right? But they go seven after they start the meeting. Well, think of all these people that are in this meeting and how many meetings they have during the day. Everything starts at seven after. I'm like, well, let's just start our meetings at seven after, and then let's just adjust the time frame. But I don't know of a time that they've actually started a meeting on time. Well, and that or erodes, ended a meeting on time. And that erodes a culture, right? That erodes right. trust. That erodes a culture, which then I think is one of these things. Like I love that Taylor Swift. I used to call it death by a thousand paper cuts because I, I actually like that. But it's death by a thousand cuts, right? But each of seven minutes. Oh, everybody knows like, Oh, it's going to be seven minutes. Do I really need to get there three minutes before? Cause we're not going to start on time. And then all of a sudden now you're nine minutes late because you know, you were checking one last email. And so it just erodes the culture, which I think Laura really contributes to this great resignation of it's the death by these cuts. It's, it's not one thing, it's another thing and it's another thing and it's another thing. And then over time, it's like, screw this. I don't want this right? With the illusion that there's something better over here. So then Corinne, what can we do for the listeners? What could they do? What are some things that they could be doing for themselves? So they aren't in this feeling of death by a thousand paper cuts. (laughs) I prefer that also. I do prefer the paper cuts. I'm going back to that. (laughs) I don't have to reference Taylor Swift. (laughs) Death by a thousand paper cuts and paper cuts are painful, right? That, that they'll eventually stop bleeding. One is they have to be able to, I think, going back to thinking, checking in how they feel, right? Really working on taking care of themselves. I mean, that has been huge in just my getting through this. And I'm also really tired and acknowledging when you are really tired and being okay with it instead of a lot of my clients will start gaslighting themselves. Well, you know, I shouldn't be. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's been a hard year, Mm -hmm. right? Even if you've had your job, even if you've gotten raises, promotions, right? Married, whatever the situation, it's been a hard year. So Mm -hmm. recognize that instead of, and then looking at, okay, how am I feeling? What do I need to fill up? For those that are, I think that becomes really important. And then the other thing I want to address, Laura, because you've talked about this quite a bit is, when people are making this decision to resign, what do you want them to think about? What's the question you want them to ask themselves? 
how is it going to be different? What are you going to do for you personally that's going to allow it to be different? And I think I've shared this, I think, with you in the past, but one of my closest friends, I'll never forget, one Christmas said, this is what I'm gifting you. I'm gifting you the gift of contentment. You're never content. Mm. And that was just, I mean, she's one of my closest friends, and so I could say that, but that was a slap on the face because nobody would see that I wasn't content. Mm-hmm. But again, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. So until you start to adjust what that looks like and work on it, it's not just a one and done, which I think a lot of us as in our country, we like just things to move fast and be done with it. And we don't want to think and feel and all that. Not that I'm an expert on that, but. <laughs> There's your sarcasm again, folks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Used to it. <laughs> Yes. But she knows I'm laughing with her, never against her. I'm on her team. Right. I know. It goes back to that hamster wheel you're talking about, right? Like we're, we're just constantly, and I think it's easy to, it's whether we call it the hamster wheel or it's like the iPhone scroll, right? Like it's easy to just, I've noticed recently I'm more tired and I've been going back to scrolling through my phone and then going and squandering all this white space time. Right. And then being frustrated, like, oh my gosh, I just wasted an hour, three hours, five hours, whatever, scrolling or not doing what I wanted to do. You know, not that I scroll for five hours, but there have been many Saturdays where I was like, what did I, I didn't do the things that I wanted to do. But so it's so easy to go back into these habits that don't support us. Well, and I think that's the numbing part, Mm -hmm. right? If you go back to really Covey has the quadrants of time management, that's in that bucket of numbing. Like you're literally just wasting time. You're either procrastinating on something or you just don't want to think about anything. Mm-hmm. And I think those times are okay. I think as long as there's a time frame that's put to it. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, for the next five minutes, my son oddly is really good at this. He'll do say, okay, by this time I'm going to be doing X. Mm-hmm. I'm like that's impressive. I don't think I taught him that, but if you put a time frame to some of that numbing, I think it's okay because sometimes you need that too. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, thanks for coming and talking about the Great Resignation. We've given some food for thought for the listeners to think about. You know, one knowing, learning about what it is, what's going on underneath it, right? How important boundaries are, your own self care, people who are in leadership decisions, of. What's the space that they're providing? Are they holding on to old patterns and decision fatigue? So I think this is all really valuable for people as we move forward into the fall and and see how this last quarter of 2021 goes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm optimistic. Same because I, I well, I, I think that I don't know. I'm always under the belief people are good people. You got 98% of this world is is really good. Mm-hmm. And so people want to do good. They don't get up in the morning and say, I want to do a terrible job. They don't get up in the morning and say, I want to resign. Maybe some of them do, but it, it's more about people have, well, Brene says this, right? We're all hardwired for connection. Mm-hmm. So I think once we get back in and we start to see people maybe in the office, it might help some of this great resignation too. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I just, I think people are good people and they want to do a good job. Mm-hmm but it has to start with you. Absolutely. All right, Laura, thank you so much. I look forward to our other conversations with you. Thank you, Corinne. Have a super day. All righty. How is that? So with the great resignation, right? It's not that we're saying that making change is a bad thing, but it's about really getting clear and owning your part, owning what's working for you, really thinking through of, what is the outcome? And are you being able to see the whole picture? Prior to this show, I'd been ta- I was talking to Laura offline and we didn't get to it on here, but I had been thinking about, I told her yesterday, I said, oh, I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to Italy this fall. This morning we got back on and we were kind of talking through it and she was actually coaching me on it. And really what was underneath this Italy trip was this desire to go and take care of myself and nurture myself and the conflict as I sat with this some more, while it sounds beautiful and ideal and great, 
part of my resistance is I have been so vigilant about COVID protocols and keeping myself safe. And even though I'm fully vaccinated, there's still a lot that we don't know. And the question that arises in my head and not from a place of fear, but a place of really compassion and empathy and having perspective of what do we really know about being vaccinated? What do we not? Would I be okay with traveling across the world and possibly getting stuck, getting the virus, bringing it back? You know, is that possible? And so there's so much that I don't know. And I had to really weigh the risk of it all, but really being able to have that perspective. And what was it that I was looking for? Well, I wanted to be taken care of. I wanted connection. I wanted to be in a retreat where I'm doing some writing and some thinking. I get all of that. And I want to be in a beautiful place. I get all of that. Does it have to happen right now? And that's the question that I'm rumbling with. And a few hours ago, I was ready to hit sign up and send. And what I need to do is give myself some space. Right now, I'm leaning more towards staying here and definitely doing a retreat, either here by myself and doing it, going on my own solo retreat, doing it maybe with a friend who I know what their protocols are, or finding a retreat that's more, I mean, I live in California. It's a beautiful state. There are beautiful places that I can go versus needing to go to another country and knowing that retreat will be there at a future time. So that's where I'm leaning towards now. We'll see how I think through this. I give you that story because as we go into this great resignation and as you're, we're starting to see this happen more and more in this fall, that's the expectation. It's not that people are bad people by making these choices. Everybody, I believe, is truly doing the best that they can. And sometimes one of the things that's really important is who are you surrounding yourself with, right? I was really fortunate to be able to talk with Laura. I shared her with her, my enthusiasm yesterday. And then today I had found out some more information and we were talking about it and really pausing and thinking, thinking it through versus being reactionary, right? And as we, it was so interesting because as we were talking about my trip, I'm like, wow, this is like the great resignation. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I want to be taken care of. Here's the illusion of how it's going to be beautiful and great. Have I really thought through all the potential risks? So as you go through and you start to make decisions, it's not that change is bad. And Laura brought up a great point about how wherever you go, there you are. And so often we we expect to change the circumstances to make us happier, to make us more content but we still have to do our internal work. And so, yes, while it would be lovely to go on a retreat someplace and connect and go to this Italy retreat, I mean, it's fantastic. I have to also look at the risks about it and being able to have somebody who's in my support systems, who's somebody who's earned the right to hear my story, who's not going to judge it and who's going to ask me great questions. And that's what Laura did. She asked me some great questions where I really had to think about it and think it through. And what am I hoping to gain from this experience and getting really clear about that? Honestly, I want to be taken care of. I want to have really good food. I don't want to have to do much, right? Like in terms of like the day-to-day doing, I don't want to have to think, I just want to be able to show up to a meal. So that's the nice thing about going on this retreat versus me going to a hotel room where then I have to make a decision again of where do I go to dinner? Do I not go to dinner? Right? I want connection. Those are all the things that I want. And I need to weigh the risks, right? What are the true risks for going? One was, and I got this information yesterday is, well, what if all of a sudden in the fall, the numbers start to spike? What will happen? Okay. So I've already mitigated that risk. I understand their policy on that, but really thinking things through and giving yourself the space to be proactive versus reactive, that is really, really important. So often these decisions that we're making right now, the decisions that I'm seeing being made is very reactive. And we think it has to happen. I must do it now. Or we're so exhausted and exasperated. We're like, forget it, fine. And we throw our values out the door, right? And it's about your values and what your values are. So for some people who are traveling, I'm not judging them. And their values, they're very comfortable with traveling internationally. And they're very comfortable with 
COVID and this is not a judgment. It's they're very comfortable with that. So knowing what your comfort level is, that's really important. Knowing what your values are, that's really important. And I know when I'm exhausted, when I don't believe I have enough time, so not enough time is scarcity, which is rooted in shame. I tend to make very reactive decisions and that can lead to a lot of regret and remorse. And that's what Laura and I were talking about, about the consequences. We didn't use regret and remorse, but that's what can happen. And that's my concern for people who are fleeing in droves because of the great resignation. And remember one of the things that Laura talked about was the great awakening. It's really easy to go, but I have this great awakening. So therefore I can do this great resignation right? Like I've had this clarity and I, I want to have more balance. I want to have this and I want to be happier. But sometimes what we tend to do is when we are in this place of fear or shame, so not enough time, not good enough. And we go into that, we're making a decision where we're not rooted in the best of ourselves, right? Where we're grounded, where we can really look through the situation. So going back to my Italy story, (laughs) My decision this morning was I was going to go and sign up, hit pay, get my plane ticket and be done, right? Because I wanted to get it done. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss my spot. Now I'm willing to give myself permission to not sign up for it, to think it through some more. I need to learn a bit more about what's going on with the Delta variant, as well as explore in a way of what are things that I could do here? right? I was able to find that retreat in Italy and it wasn't the first one I landed on, but what are things that I can do here that are more aligned? Who are the people that I would want to spend time with? What is it that I want from it? And that's really the first question, but it took me two others to finally get to this. Notice how I say this with place from compassion. You're not supposed to do it perfectly. As you rumble through, you go, oh, so the first thing is what do I want from this experience? I want rest. I want to be taken care of. I want to be in a beautiful location where the environment is beautiful and the outdoor environment is beautiful. And I want delicious food, right? Those are the things I do want some connection with people. So that is something I need to look at of, does that mean I go with a friend or does this mean I go by myself or does this mean I join into it? And I need to get more clarity around that. Do I want to be in a hotel? Do I want to be in a retreat? Do I want to be in a house? right? Is it something I want to be able to drive to, or am I comfortable getting on a plane for a short distance, right? Those are the variables to think through. And here's one of the boundaries. So Laura talked about have a boundary. So my one boundary is when I make these decisions and I go through this, I must be in a place of love and compassion. I must be grounded in love and compassion as I go through and explore this of what do I need now? So when it's the the trusting that if I don't do this retreat this September in Italy, there will be others. If not this retreat, then something better. And that's okay. It's so interesting. There was another retreat. So like last spring, a friend of mine was thinking about putting another retreat on in Italy. And I remember thinking, this was, this was like, I think April. And when she said this, I was like, there is no way I would go to Italy this fall. <laughs> And then look what happens in July of 2021. My brain's like, I'm going to Italy. (laughs) So if not this, then something better. There's always going to be opportunities, right? It's really important to commit to the best case scenario and manage the risk. What is the risk that you have the tolerance for, that you have the ability for, right? Like I'm not a huge risk taker. So what is the risk? And it does become slipperier as we've reopened of what's okay and what's not okay, right? But sometimes I'm wondering if that slipperiness is just the exhaustion of making decisions. So as we circle back, I want to circle back to this great resignation. If you're one of the people that is really thinking about resigning, take a look, go inward. If you need to write about it, if you want to go on walks, be with nature, do some brainwashing, not brainwashing, but it's where nature washes your brain. It's not... So that's what I meant. Go swimming, do some things that where you can check in with yourself and get clear. What are you thinking? What are you wanting? Right? So get really clear about that. And then know what is your reason why? 
And this is really important. I've had Simon Sinek on the show. He's talked about that. What is your reason why? What are you hoping to get from leaving and maybe moving someplace else? What are you hoping to get from that experience? Here's the third question. Can you get that experience in your current workplace? Right? What's the obstacle in that? Is it that you haven't asked for it? You haven't been clear? I was coaching a client yesterday and she's like, I'm really clear. I said, well, maybe it's about circling back and stating because maybe he doesn't understand. And when he made her boss made a comment to her, he said something and then she put all these narratives on that comment. And I said, what if you asked him, what does he mean by that? Right. Those are really vulnerable things. They're very simple and small, but they're really vulnerable. So if you think you're not getting something from your workplace, Laura talked about the cost to the company, the organization of a loss of employee. There's a huge financial cost. There's institutional knowledge costs, right? There's cultural costs. So losing an employee, there's a huge cost. Being an employee and walking away, there can be a cost to you as well. So why not take a look at what is it that may be missing that you would like to get here and asking for that? Because if you're willing to leave anyways, it's a great way to practice asking for what you need. In doing this in a very proactive way versus reactive, and then checking in with people who are on your team, who are going to be able to ask you great questions, who aren't going to judge you, and who are in your support teams, right? So like for me with Laura, I could share with her, I was very excited. She didn't judge it. And then I came back to her today and, and she knows my views and my viewpoints about COVID and that my vigilance, she's known that the last 18 months. So her question was to me about that, knowing that and knowing what I could potentially be walking into, what are my thoughts, right? She didn't judge it. And it didn't mean that we had the same viewpoints on any of this. She is on my support team. So looking around to who are the people in your support team where you can share this conversation with, what are you thinking? Who aren't going to just be yes people and tell you what they think you want to hear, but who will actually help ask questions, maybe provide some insights, maybe remind you of what you've said before, right? And give yourself the space because we all have decision fatigue. You know, it's not, I'm a coach. I do a lot of work. I have a lot of tools. I've got great support. I have systems set up and I've had decision fatigue. That is my awareness. And knowing that I check in with what was my capacity before I move forward. So I'm smiling big for you and I look forward to seeing how this great resignation, what you wind up seeing in your own life, whether it's you are a resigner or you're in the workplace where you're seeing this happen or you're a leader and you're seeing this happen. And my invitation is to be a compassionate observer, be fascinated with it versus judging yourself for others, because that will be really costly. And it goes back to the the death by a thousand paper cuts. We're going to call it that from now on the death by a thousand paper cuts. We just don't have any more capacity. We let's stop judging ourselves and or judging other people. That seems to be the, like the number one fear I'm coaching through every day with clients. And instead be fascinated. What are people doing? What can we learn from it? How do we want to show up? How do we want to be in the different arenas in our life? smiling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling 
in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.